Well, as I have been thinking over the past few weeks after Brother Jonathan let me know I would be speaking in the evening, a number of different subjects came to mind I'd like to speak on. I was thinking of the providence of God. That's always a subject, at least dear to my heart. The providence of God, how He rules and reigns in this world and controls all things, especially for our good and our benefit. But, as time went on, I didn't, I didn't think that that was what I was going to speak on tonight. <clears throat> I was thinking about some other subjects as well, but when it finally came down to it, the one thing that just stuck with me is something I'm a little nervous about doing. I don't want to go into a lot of detail, because if we did a whole lot of detail, we'd be here for the next few years. What I'd like to do is look at some of the names of our Lord Jesus Christ. The names of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I did whittle down my list a little bit. I've only got 87 listed here. But like I say, I don't want us to spend a whole lot of time on any one name. I'd like us, though, to get a, just kind of get a good panorama of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as we think about our life in this world, He should be the focus of it, right? I mean, He's the focus of what we're doing here, should be in everything we do. The Lord Jesus Christ. And I would just like us to go over tonight some of the names he's referred to in Scripture and what they mean. And again, however far we get in this list, I don't expect you to remember everything in this, but if you grab one or two things that maybe you didn't hadn't thought about recently, or you go away from here just more impressed about an aspect of our Lord Jesus Christ, well, I'll thank God for it and think it's been a success. Uh, there's any number of ways I could have arranged this and put it together. Uh, I'm going to be real simple and do this alphabetically. So let's start off with the first one I came across. Jesus Christ is talked about in Scripture as the second Adam. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I will try to move quickly, both because I don't know how long my voice will hold up and to cover as much of this as we can. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, can somebody, by the way, tell me what's in 1 Corinthians 15? It's the resurrection chapter, that's right. You know, God scatters out His truth here, there, and yonder in the Scriptures, and we have to pull out pieces here and there, but there's sometimes He'll take a section of Scripture and just give us a mother load on one subject. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the mother loads, and it's the mother load of the resurrection. Paul was dealing specifically with that issue. And in the midst of this discussion of the resurrection, he tells us in verse 45, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, he was the second Adam. Think about that for just one second. What did the first Adam bring to us, brethren? He brought death through his disobedience. What did the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam, bring to us? Life. He brought us life through his obedience. Amen. Is that glorious, brethren? Amen. Jesus Christ, the second Adam. By the way, it's a rabbit I'm not going to run, but just mention for you to check out sometime. As you read through Scripture, what is one of the things that we normally like to do? We like to put the most important thing first, don't we? What does God do often, though? He puts it second. He puts it second. I'll just leave it with you. You go out. There's a number of things I could in my mind right now tell you about second things, but here's one right now. The first Adam brought death. Second Adam brought life and life eternal to us. Jesus Christ. Next one. Jesus Christ is mentioned as our advocate. Advocate. First John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What's an advocate? A lawyer. He's a man who stands before a tribunal and pleads your case against the judge. Now, did we have a case against us? Amen. We just mentioned that the first Adam brought what to us? Death. Why? Because of his disobedience. All of us stand condemned because of his disobedience, right? Have we added to that charge ourselves? Amen. 
Amen. What does it say down here? My little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. As you remember from when we studied this a number of months back, what does it tell us in some of the preceding verses? We've all sinned, right? If any man says he hasn't sinned, he's a liar and the truth's not in him. But God provided for us an advocate to plead our case. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. Think about that, brethren. He's not just a lawyer who came forward with the right law degree and the right arguments to win it. He came, you tell me, you can find an advocate like this in the world. He came with the penalty payment. Now think about that. Most lawyers want to be paid by us, right, to defend us. Jesus Christ came to pay for us. Is that an advocate, brethren? Is that an advocate? That's our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our advocate. Next, Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. Here we have Jesus Christ referred to as the Almighty. Revelation 1, 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, I like that. I like that in that context. Brethren, do you ever need some power and some help in your life? Do you ever need a strong supporter to help you? Jesus Christ is that. Why? Because he's almighty. He's got all might and power. And notice right here in the context, what does it say here? It says he's almighty now, right? He is almighty now. How's he almighty now? He rules and reigns in heaven, right? Over all the affairs of men. It says that he was almighty. When was that? Isn't he the one who created the world? That's pretty powerful to me, don't you think? He's almighty there in the creation of the world. Finally, he's going to be almighty in the future. When? When he comes to judge this world in righteousness, right? How about that? The Lord which is, which was, and is, and which is to come, the almighty. Jesus Christ, he is almighty. All power is given to him in heaven and earth. He tells us over in Matthew chapter 28. Same verse without having to go anyplace else. We have our fourth one. It talks about Jesus Christ saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. Again, little sidelight. Isn't it wonderful how God can teach us Greek in English? What is Alpha and Omega? Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter. But in case you didn't know it, what's he tell us right here? The beginning and the ending. One's the beginning of the Greek alphabet. The other's the ending of the Greek alphabet. Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. How is he that? Well, again, we just mentioned, I mentioned a second ago that he's what? He's the beginning of all creation of God, isn't he? After all, he created all things. So he's there at the beginning, and he's at the end of all things. As what? A little different this time. Jesus Christ is the end. He's the omega in the sense that he ought to be the end all of our life, wouldn't you say? I mean, doesn't he deserve all of our adoration, praise, and worship? He's the first and the last. He's the alpha and the omega. Turn over to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. Let's see another thing that Jesus Christ is. Revelation 3, 14. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen. Amen. Now think about that. Jesus Christ is the Amen. Amen. What does the word Amen mean? The word Amen means, yes, I believe that. It's true. It's It's a symbol of agreement. If you don't believe me, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, that's what Paul says, you know, about men agreeing. You know, the unlearned saying, you know, yes, I agree when amen is said. Well, think about that. How is Jesus Christ the amen? Well, isn't it he in whom we believe for our salvation? Amen. amen. He's the one I really believe in for my salvation. And also, where is it? 2 Corinthians, let me turn over that. 2 Corinthians 1.20, because there's another thing there about him being the amen that I want us to look at there. Over in 2 Corinthians 1.20. 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God in him are yea, 
and in him, amen, under the glory of God by us. Amen. Jesus Christ is the mother load of God's blessings for us. And all of his blessings, you know, it's not like us, you know, where, well, let me give you the good news and let me give you the bad news. I mean, how often do you hear things like that from men, right? There is no bad news in the goodness of Jesus Christ and what God gives us there and his promises there. They're all good, right? All the promises of God in Jesus Christ are yay, amen. That's how Jesus Christ is the amen. He's the source of our blessing, the blessing of God upon us. Look over Hebrews 3, Hebrews 3 in verse 1. Hebrews 3 in verse 1. Let's see, can, how far can Newell get tonight in 87? Hebrews 3. Newell can turn the pages the right way, it'll help. Hebrews 3, 1 tells us about Jesus Christ. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling... Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the great apostle. What is an apostle? Apostles were messengers sent by God, weren't they? To testify of him. Well, brethren, you tell me, who had a better testimony of God than Jesus Christ himself? Was he not the great revealer of God? I mean, everything he did. You want to see God? Manifest in the flesh, look at Jesus Christ. You want to see what, how, what God gets excited about? Read the Gospels and find out what Christ got excited about. You want to find out what God is angry with? Read the Gospels and see what Jesus Christ was angry with. Jesus Christ was the great revealer of God. And he testified to the truth of God, not just by his teaching and his words, but by his very life. Again, brethren, do you want to see God? Do you want to truly see what God looks like? Look at Jesus Christ. You'll see him. You will see God when you see Jesus Christ. Because he was what? God manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ, he's the apostle of our profession. Turn over to Isaiah 51, verse 9. For number 7. Isaiah. 51 and verse 9. Let's get some of the Old Testament in here now. Awake, awake, the prophet tells us, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Jesus Christ is the arm of the Lord. And notice in context what it says here about him. Awake, as in the ancient days, in the generations of old, art thou not it that hath cut Rahab, and wounded the dragon. And brethren, what was that great dragon? What is that great dragon talked about in the book of Revelation that goes about to attack the Lord's church and his saints and destroy them? Satan, Satan the devil himself, right. And who is it that overcomes a dragon? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. In this case, the arm of the Lord. The arm of the Lord. He's the one who wounds and crushes that dragon. Also look at Isaiah 53 and verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Here again we have the arm of the Lord, but what is in the context of this passage? This is talking about Jesus Christ as he came in this world. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Talking about the humility of Jesus Christ when he came. Oh, brethren, what? I don't know about you, but I have to constantly marvel at how God does things. How would you or me do things if we were wanted to bring out, you know, when you talk about the arm of the Lord, you think about strength and might, right? So how would you and I do something like that? I mean, wouldn't we make him like six foot nine, you know, about 310 pounds, all muscle or something like that, right? That's what we want. We would want, we would expect just like the Jews of his day. What were they looking for? They were looking for a great leader to throw off Rome. So what did he do? He came as a lowly carpenter's son. A lowly carpenter's son. Yet that was the arm of the Lord. 
the arm of the Lord to bring salvation to his people. Because he wasn't here just to overthrow a political empire. He wasn't here just to impress people with his biceps. He was here to save his people from their sins. That's what the arm of the Lord brings, salvation. That's what Jesus Christ is, our Savior from sin. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. For number 8. Hebrews chapter 12. Here Paul is telling us that we should lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. Run with patience the race that is set before us. And how do we do that? How do we get the ability to do that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look to Jesus, brethren, because he's the author and finisher of our faith. Again, author, that's the one who wrote it down, right? He's the one who began us. He gave us the ability to have faith in the first place. And when it talks about the finisher, he's the one who helps us to complete and perfect our faith. Right? How does he do that? Haven't we been taught that? It's through the Holy Spirit. God, Jesus Christ sending us that comforter to live in us. To testify of Jesus in us. To guide us in his word. Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Look to him, brethren. Look to him. I don't want to talk about it now. We've got other places where we'll mention it. But he's gone through everything that we've gone through. He knows what it's like because he was what? A man. He was a man. So he's somebody we can look to with confidence to know that he knows what it's like. And if he could do it and he had the strength to go through it, he'll give us the same strength to go through whatever we are going through in our lives. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews 5.9. You're already in the book of Hebrews. Turn over to chapter 5 and verse 9. For number nine, <clears throat> and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto them that obey him. Jesus Christ is the author of our salvation. Again, how did he do that? Well, he wrote out the terms, didn't he? He wrote out the terms of our salvation, and what did he write it with? Did he write it out with ink on paper, or did he write it out with blood? that came dripping from the cross that he was nailed to. Amen. Oh, brethren, if we really believe that he's the author of our salvation, how should we pay attention to him, right? I mean, we want to read newspapers and find out what's going on, right, to keep up with the trends. We want to know what's going on at work so we can please, you know, the bosses and our fellow workers there. What about the author of our salvation? Why don't we read his book and learn about him more? He's the author of eternal salvation for us. Well, I'm sure there's others, but that's the end of the A's. Let's go on to the B's. Turn to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. I hope, you're, I hope some of these things mean something to you as we go over them. Revelation 3 and verse 14. We were here once before. Well, we've got the amen. If we read a little further, it'd say the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The beginning of the creation of God. Well, how is he the beginning of the creation? Well, once again, as the word of God, he was in the beginning and actually doing the creating, wasn't he? Amen. But also, more than that, he was one of the first men to be risen, raised from the dead. Actually, he was the first one raised from the dead never to die again. Think about that, brethren. What happened to Lazarus after he was raised from the dead? Years went by, and he died. But Jesus Christ, when he rose from the dead, he didn't die again. And because of that, we're looking to be just like him in the resurrection, right? Jesus Christ, the beginning of the creation of God. I'll turn to Matthew chapter 17 and verse 5, though. This is a tender one. Matthew chapter 17. 
And verse 5. Here Jesus Christ has gone aside with Peter, James, and John up into a high mountain. And he's transfigured before them. What does that mean? What that means is for a little period of time, the veil of flesh that the word of God indwelt was kind of taken back. And just a little bit, James, John, and Peter got to see the glory of God. And old Peter, good old Peter, he he's there, he's enthusiastic, but he always... He's kind of like us at times, isn't he? That's why I, I, I kind of like Peter, because he's just like us, right? He's real enthusiastic, but doesn't always think well about what he's, you know, what he should say and do. But he feels some guy say something. And in verse three, he says, "Behold, the opinion of them Moses, Elias, and talking with him." Moses and Elijah are sitting there talking with Jesus Christ, and Peter's so overwhelmed, all he can think of is saying unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. One for Elijah. And that's kind of dumb. I mean, in retrospect, us looking at it, right? Who cares about Moses and Elijah? Jesus Christ was there. But God the Father very politely and kindly corrected Peter in the next verse. Verse 5, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Jesus Christ is the beloved Son of the Father. Oh, brethren, I mean, if you, if there, we could dwell on any of these points, but this is one that we could dwell on a long time. You tell me any of you men in this congregation, and myself included, who would take any of your children, any of your children, and be ready to sacrifice them for anybody. If I know the heart of every man here, you'd give your life before you'd let one hair of your child's head be touched. Right? But what did God do for us? He took his beloved son. His only son made the way he was made, born of a virgin. And he gave him up for us. Jesus Christ is the beloved son of God. And notice what God says. What does God think about this beloved son of his? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. Brethren, you want a prophet in your life? Hear Jesus Christ and what he says. Listen to him. Follow his teachings. Follow the teachings of his apostles. Worship and adore him because he is the beloved son of God. Turn now to 1 Timothy 6.15. 1 Timothy 6.15. This is another good one. They're all good, but this is just, you know, we all have our favorites, and I just like this one. 1 Timothy 6.15. Let's start with verse 14. I like, I like context. It says that thou keep this commandment without spot, unre, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is the blessed and only potentate. Again, what does potentate mean? It's a king. It's a ruler. A potentate. A supreme ruler. And what does he say here? He's the blessed and only potentate. Jesus Christ is the only potentate. I, I kind of like this one because, you know, way back when I used to study a lot about the Masons and people like that. And they like to have their exalted title like all grand poobah and great potentate. Well, Jesus Christ is the only potentate there is, right? He's the blessed potentate. Of God. And brethren, again, he's the potentate. He's the one with all power and authority. That's what it means to be a potentate. A ruler that has all authority. Brethren, knowing that, what kind of boldness should we have in his name? 
He's the blessed and only potentate. He's got all power and authority given to him. Is there anything we can't do in his name, under his authority? Turn over to Jeremiah now, 33.15. Jeremiah 33.15. And for a number of these passages, brethren, there's other, I mean, for these terms, there's other passages we could turn to. These just happen to be some that I pulled out for tonight. Jeremiah 33, verse 15. In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. The branch. Jesus Christ is the branch from David. He is the prophesied Messiah that would come out of David. And notice he calls him here the branch. A branch that brings judgment and righteousness to the land. Judgment that brings salvation for his people. And brethren, who is that people? That's us. It's you and me. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the branch of David. Who would bring salvation for his people. Look over at John chapter 6 now. John chapter 6 and verse 32. John 6, 32. Here Jesus has done a miracle. He's made bread and sustenance for people and passed it out. And they come back wanting more. And he tells them, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He is the bread of life, brethren. Notice what it says here. He came down from heaven, from the Father, to give us life. What is bread? Don't you love, brethren, these symbols that God gives us? These aren't hard, are they? These are easy to remember. What is bread? Now, it's a little different. We do have to think a little bit on this one. Because in our day and age, I mean, we're going to go home tonight, right? If you don't go out to supper, you're going to go home, and what are you going to have the choice of? 30, 40, 50 different items in your refrigerator to choose from, to eat? But you're going to have to put your mind back into these days. What did you have back then? Well, you had bread. And you might have, you know, an animal you could, could you know, kill to, to eat off of. But you didn't do that too often, right? Because you didn't have an unlimited supply of those. So, huh? Cheese. Cheese. You had a few things. What was the staple of life? Well, it was bread. It was bread. I mean, after all, if you want to make somebody be on survival rations, you give them bread and water, right? Because they will survive on that. They won't grow strong and healthy. Healthy too much on it, but it was the sustenance. The main thing of life was bread. Jesus Christ said he was the bread of life. Jesus Christ is the main sustenance that we live off of. He's the source of our strength and the foundation of our life. And not just spiritually. Oh, yeah. We don't have spiritual life without him. But brethren, how do you get by in this world without him? I'll tell you, brethren, I can't live in this world without him. Amen. I wouldn't want to try. He is what sustains us emotionally. He sustains us in all sorts of ways, brethren. Jesus Christ, he's our bread. He's the bread of life. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10. Hebrews 2. Here we have Jesus Christ referred to. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Jesus Christ is our captain. I mean, come on, guys, right? We love war movies, don't we? We love seeing a commander who can take charge of his troops and lead them into victory, right? Well, we've got just that kind of a captain. We've got a captain who... What does it tell us here? In bringing many sons into glory. Many sons into glory, brethren. You know where we were before our captain went to battle for us? We were bond prisoners of his mortal enemy, the devil. 
We are all dead in trespasses and sins. We hated him. We hated him. But you know what? He is so powerful that not only did he snatch us out of the devil's hands, not only did he snatch us out of sin's grasp, but what did he do? He made us love him. Now, is that a captain? Is that a commanding officer right there who not only can win the battle, but it can win the hearts as well? That's our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want a great captain, brethren? You've got him. Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 4 for number 16. Another picture. We've seen Jesus Christ as a military leader. Well, let's look at him in a more humble role. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. Again, how are we referred to as God's people in Scripture? We're sheep. And how does that fit us well, right? Easily confused, weak, easily led astray. If we're not careful, if there's not somebody to tend us and take care of us. And you know, it's so good that God has made provision for us. I mean, what did Brother Jim mentioned this morning? For seven years, we prayed for a pastor. What's a pastor? A shepherd. <laughs> a shepherd, a shepherd to guard, to guard and care for and guide this flock. And God provided it for us. But brethren, as good as that shepherd is, or as good as any human shepherd can be, let me tell you, the chief shepherd is better than all of them. Amen. He can watch over our, sh- well, after all, who watched over our sh- souls that whole seven years? Amen. Who's watching over our souls right now with an earthly shepherd? that great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ. Turn now to Luke chapter 9 and verse 20. Luke chapter 9 and verse 20. <clears throat> Start with verse 18. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were, were with him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? Jesus Christ had had his ministry going for a number of years, or months, actually, and asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, that's Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answered right on the money this time. For all the times he missed it, he hit the nail on the head this one. Peter answered saying, the Christ of God. Jesus Christ was the Christ of God. He was the one who was anointed, the Messiah, the Savior, sent from God to deliver his people. That was our Lord Jesus Christ. Along that same line, look at Luke 2, Luke 2, 25. Luke 2, 25. Tells us, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout. And what was he waiting for? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And what did he see? The Holy Spirit led him to where he saw Jesus, the baby Jesus, the consolation of Israel. Jesus Christ is the consolation. He's the one who brings comfort and peace to his people. Isn't that what consolation is? Your soul's in distress. You've got problems. And you need consolation. You need peace. He's our consolation. Jesus Christ is our peace. He's the one who came to tell the people that their warfare against sin would be accomplished through him. Over in Isaiah chapter 40, it tells us about that. Jesus Christ. Remember the warfare that's between us and God because of our sins. Who was the one who brought us consolation in that? Who was the one who brought us peace in that? Jesus Christ by his death on the cross. He's the consolation of Israel. Look over at Psalm 118. Psalm 118. 
Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. This is, this is a prophecy that you can turn over to other places in the New Testament where it was referred directly to Jesus Christ. And remember what it says about that? It's that stone, that stone of stumbling, that rock of offense Jesus Christ himself referred to himself as. That whosoever will fall on it and be broken, but those who it falls on top of will grind into powder. That's Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. He's the stone that's rejected by this world. And those that reject him, he'll grind to powder. But he's also the one that's the foundation and the chief support of our life, isn't he? Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. There's a number of them in this passage. Right now we'll only grab one of them. Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ is our Counselor. Brethren, what does it tell us about Jesus Christ in the New Testament? Don't, doesn't Paul tell us, I think, somewhere over in Colossians, maybe chapter 2, that in Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Amen. And what, what do you go for a counselor for, but for wisdom and knowledge and how you ought to do something? Right. Whether it's counseling in your personal life, whether it's a financial counselor for your finances, a business counselor, a war counselor, a counselor is a man who gives you understanding in the matter you're talking about. Jesus Christ is our counselor, brethren. Don't go anywhere else for understanding. Don't go to this world. Go to Jesus Christ. He'll give you understanding. Go to the word that testifies of him, and it'll give you understanding in things. Colossians 2, 3. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. He is the source and the font of all wisdom and understanding. There's no wisdom or understanding against him. That finishes the C. That's number 20. Turn now to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 78. Luke chapter 1, verse 78. Actually, let's start with verse 77. This is where Zacharias is talking about his son John and what he's going to do as the great forerunner of Jesus Christ. That he's to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Jesus Christ is the day spring. Now, what's the day spring? What's the thing that springs up in the daytime? It's the sun. I mean, physically speaking, the sun is the day spring. Well, Jesus Christ is the day spring for us as well. He's, after all, doesn't the scriptures refer to him as the son of righteousness that arises with healing in his wings for us over in the Old Testament? Jesus Christ, he's the one who gives light to our path so that we know how to walk in this world. Jesus Christ is the great day spring. And I, I like that, brethren, because remember, what's one of the things we've been taught in the past? One of the things we've been taught about the way that God writes his word and has revealed himself to men is that God intentionally has left traps for people to fall into, right? What's one of the great traps that men fall into when they don't want to worship God aright? They want to go out and worship the S-U-N, right? They don't want to worship the S-U-N. And God even gives them ways, you know, in Scripture almost gives them justification for that if they don't read it right. We're not talking about the actual day spring. We're talking about the figurative day spring, Jesus Christ. The S-O-N of God. As well as the Son, S-U-N, of our life. Turn to Romans eleven twenty six. now. We're in the D's. Romans eleven twenty six. 
And so all Israel, Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Jesus Christ is the Deliverer. He is the Savior for His chosen people. He is the one who came to turn us away from unrighteousness. And isn't that glorious, brethren? Do you ever need deliverance? I've needed it in the past. We've all needed deliverance from our sins. Jesus Christ came to give us that deliverance. To pull us out. To take us away from that which was damning us. To save and deliver us. It's Jesus Christ. Not only though, because you look at it here, you say, oh, well, he's just talking here though about Israel and, and, you know, the, the chosen Israel that was in Israel at the time. Well, look over at Haggai chapter 2 and verse 7. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 7. For us Gentiles, God's got deliverance as well. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 7. Here God says, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Speaking of the house that had been built after the destruction of Solomon's temple. Remember that? The the, the second temple that was built there. He said that, hey, there's going to be greater things coming to this temple. And what greater thing came into that temple? Jesus Jesus Christ, who was the desire of all nations. Because all nations have desired a, a savior, a deliverer from their sins. And Jesus Christ was that desire of nations. Turn now back to the New Testament, John chapter 10, verse 7. John chapter 10 and verse 7. Here Jesus Christ tells his disciples, in a, as he explains a parable he's spoken, Then said Jesus unto them, again, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus Christ is the door. He's the gateway that opens for us for salvation. And as he points out here, there's all sorts of, False Jesus's false ways in this world today. Jesus Christ himself is the true way of salvation. He's the only way in. He's the only means of entrance into God's presence. Jesus Christ is the one who truly, fully revealed God himself to us so we can go into his presence. He's the doorway for us to go into God's presence, whether it be by the shedding of his blood for us or whether it be by the way of knowledge, of understanding, so we can know where to go into to visit God. Oh, here's a fun one. This is an interesting one. Look at Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 1. Isaiah 42, verse 1. This is our 25th one, starting the E's. He was faithful, and he was the faithful witness of God. Think about it, brethren. He came with a purpose in life. What was his purpose? To testify of God the Father. In everything he did, his whole life long, he did that. He never once failed. He was faithful to the task he was given, and he was a witness to God. He was true and honest in all his dealings. He was righteous and holy in all that he said, thought, and did. He fulfilled his task before God to reveal God to men. Same book of Revelation, verse 17. He tells us here, and I saw him, and when I saw him, I felt his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And I won't go any more over that. We've talked about that in Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. Revelation 1.5, back there to that verse now. Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. Jesus Christ is the first begotten of the dead. He's the first one who was 
brought from the dead, never to die again. Again, we've mentioned that again. But also remember that, brethren. It says he's the first begotten of the dead. What's that imply? There's more to follow. And who's that? Us. You and me. Just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you and I, if we're his disciples, if we're his children, we're going to go through that same process to have the same kind of body, the same undying life that he now has. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 20 for number 30. Ooh, time's running short. Time is running short. Hebrews 6, 20. Start with verse 19. Ah, start with verse 18. That's even better. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. I like that. Hope. How, how, how often do people use the word hope and that means just kind of a wishful, oh, I hope so. You know, here it says this is firm and solid, an anchor for our souls. That's the kind of hope scripture talks about, something firm and solid, which entereth into the veil, into that within the veil. And what veil are we talking about here? There again, Paul is talking about that veil that used to stand between the people and the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest could go into. What was on the other side of that veil? Where God came to meet, right? That was where the mercy seat was. That was the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God would come to meet with His people directly. Whether the forerunner is entered for us, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is the forerunner. Jesus Christ went through that veil for us. And what did he do, by the way? What happened to that veil when Jesus Christ was crucified? It was torn from top to bottom to show that God had opened the way into his presence for men. No longer is there a veil. There we go right in. Why? Because Jesus Christ went in for us. And also, though, see, he's the forerunner. What does that term forerunner mean? Real difficult. It's somebody who runs before. In this case, it normally means somebody who runs before, say, an army or an ambassador to prepare the way for the people that are coming behind him. And doesn't that perfectly describe what Jesus Christ did for us? That same chapter of John I mentioned earlier where he was trying to comfort his disciples. What did he tell them? Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I've told you so. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come and likewise as I have gone. I probably missed a few words here and there, but you get the context, right? Jesus Christ went ahead for us to prepare a place for us in heaven. He's our forerunner, gone ahead to prepare the way for us to come into God's presence forever. Not just once in a while in prayer. Forever we're going to be in God's presence because Jesus Christ is our forerunner. Oh, we're only through with the F's. And time's almost gone. Let me just read a few of these out here. We won't turn to all the passages. Jesus Christ is the glory of God. He's the glory of God revealed in human flesh, right? Jesus Christ is God, blessed forever. Amen. Now, how can somebody think that, you, that you know, Jesus Christ is just a God, like a Jehovah's Witness, is beyond me when they read that passage? He's God, blessed forever. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, and the good shepherd did what? He laid down his life for his sheep. Amen. He's the great high priest. Why is he so great? Well, he's great because he's the son of God. He's great because he made the ultimate sacrifice for his people. He's great for us because he's a man. He could be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, right? Paul tells us over there in Hebrews 4 where I'm referring to. And he ever stands to make intercession for us. What a great high priest. He's always there to intercede on our behalf. Amen. Jesus Christ, he's the head of the church. 
If you go to Ephesians 1.22, it talks about the fact that he's been made ruler over all things for the church. Jesus Christ, as we've talked about him being the potentate, as we've talked about him being almighty, what is that power for? That power many times in scripture is listed for our benefit. He's there to care for us, to help us, to guide us. He's the head of the church for our good and for our blessing. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. What is an heir? That somebody inherits something. If he's the heir of all things, what does he own? Everything. And you know what's even better than, well, I mean, that's, that's tremendous. He deserves it all. But you know what grace tells us? It also tells us that over in Romans 8, 17, that as God's adopted children, he's made us joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now what? We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He's an heir of everything. Well, that means we share jointly in everything with Jesus Christ. Is that glorious, brethren? Is that a good God or what? Jesus Christ is the holy child. He was God's precious child, but he was holy. Jesus Christ is called the Holy One. He's the Holy One of Israel. He's the Holy One of God. Brethren, how should we tremble before such a being? He's holy. We're sinners. And yet in the same context, we can turn around and look in Luke 1, 69, where it talks about him being the horn of salvation. And what is a horn in Scripture? A horn symbolizes strength, might, and rulership. Jesus Christ is the might of God's salvation. We already saw him as the right arm, right? Is the arm of God's salvation. He's the horn of God's salvation. I am. Jesus Christ is the I am. You remember those incidents where he would say that in public and the Pharisees and scribes knew what he was saying because what would they do as soon as he said, I am? They'd take up stones to stone him because he'd blasphemed. Remember, as he's going about to go away for his crucifixion, as that band of soldiers and the turncoat Judas come to take him, art thou Jesus of Nazareth? I am. Fall down, all, every single one of them. They get back up and come to him again. Are you Jesus of Nazareth? I am. Down they go a second time. And then he meekly goes away to his death. Brethren, what a contradiction there is. The almighty son of God right there, who could have obliterated those men. And yet he meekly went to his death. For you and me. He's the I am. He's the image of God. How many times have we already said that in other passages? He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's Jesus. Jehovah is salvation. He's the just one. He's always fair and righteous in all his dealings. He's the King Eternal. Immortal, invisible, the only wise God. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings. He's the king of saints. How about that, brethren? He's our king. He's our king. He's the great lawgiver. Oh, I love that one. Just for a second, think about that, brethren. He's the lawgiver. If you go to read Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 22 where that passage is found, where it says he's the lawgiver, it tells us that he's a judge. It tells us that he's the lawgiver, which is what? Who gives law in our day and time? Legislatures, right? And it also says that he's the king. How about that? Jesus Christ is a judge. He's the judicial part. He's the lawgiver, the legislature, and he's the executive, the king. All rolled into one. All government comes from God. And he's but a pale reflection of him. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. He's our leader, Isaiah 55, verse 4. He's our life, John 14, 6. Origin of our life, whether it be physical, spiritual, life in this universe. And how much should he be the center of our life? Our attention, our affection. 
He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Strong champion who won every battle he ever fought. He's the Lord of all. He's the Lord of glory. He's the Lord of lords. He's the Lord of righteousness. Ah, but he's also the man of sorrows. Think about that. He knows our pain. He knows our griefs. He was tried like we are. He's lost loved ones. Jim pointed that out this morning, like we have. He's our mediator. He's the one who'll stand there and mediate between us and God. He's the messenger of the covenant. He's the mighty God. He's the morning star. He's our Passover. Again, what was the Passover? God saw blood, the blood of a lamb that was slain on a doorpost, and the angel of death passed over. Jesus Christ is that lamb that was slain, so he is our Passover. He's the prince of the kings of the earth. Oh, and won't they... Won't that be something to see all these haughty men in our generation and generations before who reviled God, who would have nothing to do with them, and to see them on the great day of judgment bowing their knees to Jesus Christ? How about Satan himself, the head of the principalities and powers, having to bow his knee to the man, Christ Jesus? He's a prophet. He's our Redeemer. He's the resurrection of the life. He's the rock. He's the root of David. He's a Savior. He's the shepherd and bishop of our souls. He's Shiloh, all the way back in Genesis. With Jacob on his deathbed, talk, deathbed talking about his sons, talking about how Shiloh would come from Judah. Prophesied Messiah. He's the son of David. The Son of God, Son of the Highest, and also Son of Man. Son of Righteousness. He's the true light. Think about that, brethren. There's false lights in this world, but Jesus Christ is the true light. He's the true vine. Again, He's the source of all of our nourishment. Because you go to that passage, John 15, it talks about us as being branches. We need Jesus Christ to survive, brethren. He's the vine that we gain our sustenance from. Jesus Christ himself is the truth. Amen. What did he say over in John 14, verse 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is the truth of God. He's the witness and finally, he's the word. Amen. He's the word of God. Is God the word? He was what? The creator of all things. Yep. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. All things were made by him. With him without him was not anything made that was made. Amen. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. I want to close with this. Talking about Jesus Christ as the word. Hebrews chapter 4 is something we need to remember, brethren. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Jesus Christ is the word of God. He is alive, that's what it means to be quick, and he's powerful, and he sees all things. Everything is naked and open before his eyes, and it's with him that we have to do. <laughs> Brethren, I hope tonight that you've heard some things that encourage your hearts about our Lord Jesus Christ. Just going over his names and thinking a little bit about them. But brethren, he is an awesome being. He is an awesome being. Let's be careful. Let's be careful of the great things that he's revealed to us. We don't let them slip. 
Let's make sure that in all of his mercy and kindness that he shows us, we don't forget that he is the almighty God of the universe. He is the Holy One. He is the one who sees and knows everything that we do and who will bring into judgment the hidden things. May God help us that we, when it comes the day of judgment, that we're there in those blessed robes of righteousness, fully expecting His coming, enjoying His blessing, and not having to apologize for anything that He has seen us doing that we shouldn't be doing. May God help us to glorify Him in our lives as well as our attention to His Word. <clears throat> Let's all stand and be dismissed. Our most gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for revealing your Son to us. For coming down in human form and being among us. We're so thankful, Lord, as we contemplate the different titles of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the beauty that we see there, Lord, the terror and the majesty that is there. Help us, Lord, to live as your people, to live holy and righteous lives, to come to you, Lord, and trust you, coming in prayer to give up our desires to you, to seek your guidance and blessing in all areas of our lives. Dismiss us now, Father, with thy blessing. Help us to come again, if you tarry, next week to worship you in this place. For we ask these things in the blessed and the glorious name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.